We can discuss the, the equality of some of those things, but we shouldn't just choose a side because that side is preferential to the way that we feel. Because really what it's about for God, it's about justice. So if you always choose the side of the poor or the rich, that perverts justice. Because you're actually not looking at what's happening, you're looking at your preference before you even know what's going on. And that is unjust. Today, Pastor Daniel will remind you that God is just. He doesn't pick favorites, nor does he side with someone based on his personal preference. God wants what's right and true to be the focus. Pastor Daniel will urge you today to fight for the truth, no matter who it involves or what you personally want to believe. God loves everyone and wants to see everyone know him, and he just might be sending you to show others who he is. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Exodus chapter 23 as he begins his message, Parties and Promises. I know you guys know this. I absolutely love this material. I find the book of Exodus, especially this part of the law, Exodus and Leviticus, I find this so fascinating. If I've often said that if God didn't call me to pastoral ministry, if he called me to uh, academic, a ministry in academia, to teaching the Bible in a seminary, I would definitely be a Torah scholar. I would spend my whole time studying the law, trying to understand it. And so you all, I guess, kind of get the benefit or the detriment of that, of that passion as we go through this section, but so many of you have talked to me about how interesting this study has been to be able to look at these different laws and see the logic behind it, to see the, the justness and the holiness that is behind it. So it's very fascinating to see how much of what we already value as a culture has its foundation right here in God's perfect law. So as we pick up in chapter 23, verse 1, It says this of the book of Exodus, you shall not circulate a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. You shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. Now, each one of these is an amplification of the ninth commandment, that you shall not bear false witness. And the idea here is that God expects individuals as well as a society or a community to be people who have integrity with their words, okay? Because Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what that means is that anything that falls out of your mouth, the reason it falls out of your mouth is because it's first in your heart. Now, I don't know about you, but that's kind of terrifying because oftentimes the things that either fall out of our mouth or the things that we mutter under our breath, that gives us a window or a mirror into what's in our hearts. And so one of the things that God asks 
of all of his people is that we choose our words carefully, truthfully, and with justice. So do not circulate a false report. What that means is if you hear a story about somebody and you don't know if it's true, then don't pass it around. You got to realize in our culture, we live in a gossip culture. We live a, somebody puts out some tweet and before you know it, everyone believes this thing that somebody tweeted, you know, and then people pass it around and they share it on their Facebook walls and their, and don't get me wrong, I like social networking probably more than most of you. But we have to be careful because whether we're the inventor of a false report or if we are simply a flow through for a false report, that dishonors God because we're breaking the ninth commandment. Now, why is false witness important to God? We've talked about this because we are called to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be witnesses for Christ. That word witness literally means, in the, in the Greek, it's the word martyr, which we get somebody who's given up their life for their faith. So God has created you and I to be witnesses for Christ. And when we bear a false witness, it cuts the knees out of the witness that we ought to have, which is a witness to who Jesus is and what he has done. So that's why this is important. So don't, do not circulate a false report. Think to yourself before you share, uh, oh, did you hear such and such about so and so? You should think before you share that stuff. And don't get me wrong. We all like to chit chat. And I probably more than most of you. I like talking. But we gotta be careful that in our enjoyment of, and we're interested in people and things, we gotta be careful not to circulate a false report. Because you know what happens when you circulate a false report? If it's not true, it still damages the image of somebody else. That's what it does. How many times has this happened where you hear something about somebody before you meet them? And then you meet them and you're just like, that person's no good. Whether or not that's true or not about them is irrelevant. You are, they're already behind the eight ball with you. And that's dishonest. You're not giving them a chance to stand or fall on the content of their character and who they are. So we got to be careful. We have to be careful. Do not, do not circulate a false report. Do not put your hand in the middle of verse one with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. Now, if somebody is doing something that is wicked, that lacks truth, that lacks integrity, do not lie to help them further along their wickedness. This is called being an accomplice. So you might say, well, it's not me. It's, I'm not doing it. I'm just helping it along. By helping it along, you are helping it along. So when somebody is involved in something that would be considered wickedness, unrighteousness, do not join up with them. Do not help it along. We are called to be people of integrity who stop wickedness. It's all very simple. Look at verse 2. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil. Now, this is, <laughs> this is an important thing. We all know in 1 Corinthians 15.33, it says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good morals. You can talk here about peer pressure, crowd mentality. People do things in groups that they would never do as individuals. 
And you can look at all sorts of mob violence. And I mean, thank God I've never experienced it personally. I know somebody who is a police officer when the L.A. riots happened. People who maybe were normally would never do something in the midst of a crowd start doing horrendous things. So we have to be careful of just being part of a crowd and ending up involved in things that we should never be involved in. Brothers and sisters, from Genesis to Revelation, the people of God are called to be subversive to the predominant paradigm of the world that we live in. We are called to run against the grain. We're called to that. And we do that with joy. And so we should always, if the crowds are going this way, oftentimes we should be going in the other direction. And listen, don't get me wrong. It's hard for salmon to swim upstream, but we know if they get upstream, the magic happens, right? Forget it. Don't worry about it. (laughs) That's just, God created it that way. The magic happens if you swim against the current and you end up upstream. And so that's a good picture for us. If everybody's heading this way and we're heading this way, we're we're just another person in the crowd. We're just another sea of mindless faces. I was talking to someone about this recently. They're like, Daniel, I can't believe you're a Christian. I have a lot of friends who still like can't fathom that I'm a Christian or I'm a pastor. They're like, I mean, what happened to you? You were always so unique. I'm like, dude, being a Christian in America is a unique thing. I'm like, dude, I'm just the same person. I just, you know, none of you guys are Christians. I'm the only one. That suits me very well. Because it's not fashionable or sexy to be a Christian in America anymore. It's more fashionable to be, I like to be spiritual but not religious. Which really means I don't really know what I believe, but I just like saying I'm spiritual because I don't, I believe in spirituality, but I'm not really, I'm not really willing to put my, my, my hand down at anything. So I'm just like, it's all good. I'm like, no, no, no. Dude, I'm with Jesus. You know, and that's not a popular thing today. Those of you go to your workplace, you can be anything except a Christian, and you're probably going to get, you know, you won't be in trouble. Unless maybe you're a Muslim in our culture. That's, you know, that's not very popular here right now. But next to a Muslim, being a Christian is the next least popular thing in our culture. So listen, don't be one of the crowds. Don't be just another lamb that's led to the slaughter. Go swim upstream. Be willing to take the road less traveled. Enter by the narrow gate. Take the difficult way. And yeah, not a lot of people find it, Jesus said, but it leads to life. So don't follow the crowd to do evil. So I'm giving, listen, brothers, sisters, listen to me. I want to give you the liberty to buck the system, to go in an opposite direction of your friends. Still be their friends, still love them, but don't follow them to do evil. Growing up, all Italian, my whole family grew up in New York. My dad used to say, Danny, and my dad's allowed to call me that, so is my wife. That's it, no one else. (laughs) My dad would say, Danny, if your friends jump off the Brooklyn Bridge, don't you do it. That's pretty solid counsel. Because if your friends are going to kill themselves, don't be a knucklehead and follow them. But listen, we all can admit that peer pressure is challenging, isn't it? Being the one dissenting voice in a group is never a fun thing. But God's men and women have always stood up for righteousness, no matter what the cost is. We need to not follow the crowds. We shouldn't follow people to do evil. Notice, 
nor, verse 2 in the middle, shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. So it's saying, look, if a dispute is happening and something unjust is happening and all the crowds are going for the unjust decision, do not join them and pervert justice. Do not be an accomplice. Do not be complicit in unjustice in any way. Now, notice what happens next. It says now, in verse 3, you shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. Now again, this whether, and later we're going to see, do not show partiality for a rich person in their dispute. So there are some people who always want to take the cause of the poor. And just be, like, in a lot of ways, we see it today in the people who are against the 1%. Just because people are successful, there are people, I just don't like them because they're successful. Right? Now, we can discuss the, the equality of some of those things, but we shouldn't just choose a side because that side is preferential to the way that we feel. Because really what it's about for God, it's about justice. So if you always choose the side of the poor or the rich, that perverts justice. Because you're actually not looking at what's happening. You're looking at your preference before you even know what's going on. And that is unjust. Okay? So don't let your feelings sway how you determine a situation. A lot of ways, we have issues with that in our country because if somebody is from a poor area and they get caught in a rich area and something bad has happened, oftentimes they can be accused of that and they maybe didn't do anything. They were just a poor person in a rich area in a place that they shouldn't be. And circumstantially, now they're guilty, which is just straight wrong. Okay? So we don't want to allow our preferences, no matter how well-intended, to be what determines how we value a situation. We let the facts of the situation do it, not our own personal preferences and biases. Now, in verse 4, if you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him again. Verse 5, if you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden and you would refrain from helping it, you shall surely help with it. Now again, it's kind of a strange thing. We're talking about oxens and donkeys, and most of us don't have oxens and donkeys. But the principle here is this. Jesus said it this way, love your enemies. So if you find your enemy's property, and it's either straying from them, or if it's lying under its burden, so that it's hurt and it needs help, don't not help because they're your enemy and you don't like them. God calls us to love our enemies. And this is a powerful thing because what this teaches us is how you feel about someone does not determine right or wrong behaviors towards them. I'm going to say that again because I realize that, talk about a subversive statement. How you feel about someone does not determine right and wrong behavior towards them. Our feelings, each one of us, are our own personal Judases. They betray us all the time. So the right way to treat someone is not determined by how you feel about them, but by who God is and what God asks of us. And God asks us to love our enemies. So if you find your enemies property away from them, or if you see your enemy's property and you can help them, even if they are your mortal, lifelong enemy, in Jesus' name, help them. 
Because that's what you would want someone to do for you if the same thing happened to you. The golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And I'll be honest with you, this is the part of the Christian faith that can only happen by the power of the Holy Spirit and is the one thing that makes Christianity different from every single religion in the world. Because Christianity says, listen, they may be your enemy, you still help them because helping them is of God. Now, I'm quite sure for each one of us right now, there are areas in our hearts right now where you know you can help somebody who you just don't quite like. And if you're in here today and you are resisting that, you came to the right place because God loves us enough to tell us these things. God loves us enough to say, look, I know that's what comes naturally to you. And that's the problem. And that's why I sent Jesus to come to the earth, to die on a cross, to be resurrected from the dead, to ascend into heaven and to pour out his spirit so that you can be different than what comes naturally. So you got to love your enemies. Don't let how you feel about them impact the way you act. You act the right way because you know it's right. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 1 to 3. Right down the same line, it says, You shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and hide yourself from them. You shall certainly bring them back to your brother. And if your brother is not near you, or if you do not know him, then you shall bring it to your own house, and it shall remain with you until your brother seeks it. Then you shall restore it to him. You shall do the same with his donkey, and you shall do the same with his garment. With any lost thing of your brother's, which he has lost and you have found, you shall do likewise. You must not hide yourself. See, you know what I love about this? You know what I love about the concept of loving your enemies? Is that God asks each one of us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to be a blessing no matter what. We are here to be ambassadors of God's blessing in the world. And God's blessing is not that everything goes right or that everyone treats us right. Is that instead of being reactive to someone's evil, we are proactive, jihadists in love, extremists in love, going to the next step, being all the way over the top loving. And when someone, when we do something like that to someone who doesn't like us, they're totally bewildered by it. They're like, why would you do that? And you say, well, listen, if it was up to me, I wouldn't do it at all. Frankly, I don't like you very much. <laughs> but I believe, I believe in a God whose love is greater than my issues with you. And I believe God loves you and I'm working on it. And I was happy to be able to help you. And you know what? In and of myself, I would never have done that. But God's working on me. Will you pray for me? Talk about a mo- yeah. Maybe you don't want to quote all of that. The first part was a little cheeky. But, but you guys get the picture, right? Because that's the gospel. The gospel is that God is making me into what I'm not. Jesus lived the life I couldn't live. And he died the death that I deserved, that I may have a spirit that I never deserved, that I may be different than I was yesterday. I used to be vindictive. I used to be selfish. I used to be downright mean. But now God has given me a love that I never, ever could have fathomed. And that love is changing me from the inside out. And I feel weird about it, but it's happening. That's what the gospel does. The life of God in your soul and my soul, it's profound what it does to us. But it does a work and it makes us different. 
And it feels awkward when we're different in the beginning until that awkwardness becomes the new normal. So brothers, sisters, love your enemies. Find ways to do good by the people who have wronged you. Be a child of God, transforming your community, your world. Love takes your enemies and makes them your friends. Love does. Transforms enemies into friends. Transforms broken relationships into family relationships. That's what Jesus does. That's what he does. Now, notice what happens, verse 6. You shall not pervert the judgment of your poor in his dispute. Keep yourself far from a false matter. Do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not justify the wicked. Verse 8. And you shall take no bribe. For a bribe blinds the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous. Also, you shall not oppress a stranger. For you know the heart of a stranger because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. So again, he goes back to perverting justice. Do not pervert the judgment of your poor in their dispute. So just before, don't side with the poor just because they're poor. Now, don't side against the poor just because they're poor. Notice verse 7, keep yourself far from a false matter. I like that because to me, that is one of those fence verses right there. Keep yourself far from a false matter. And that's important for us because how often is it do we get kind of close to those type of things? Some garbage is going on and because our friends are involved or our, our business involved, we get real close to it. Just stay, stay far away from it. You get close enough to a fire, you're going to get burned. That's what it's saying there. Notice, I won't justify the wicked. You see that? In the end of verse 7? God takes this seriously. He t- now, don't get me wrong. We know that we're all wicked and we're justified because of our faith in Jesus. But don't get me wrong either that we are still, our works are still tried with fire before the judgment seat of Christ. We're not saved by works. We're saved unto works. And we know what we believe and value based on what we do. And none of us can do the works to get into heaven, but because we're saved, our works should become a long line with those things. So our works are in response, and we know what we love, what we value, based on what we do. I've heard it said a lot of times, you can tell what somebody values by their calendar and their checkbook. Because what you devote your time to, and what you devote your finances to, that's what you value the most. And that's a true statement, because what it's saying is that whatever your, your God is, you devote your time and your treasures to. It's kind of a sobering thought. I remember the first time I heard that, I went, I looked at my calendar, I looked at my checkbook, and I got pretty depressed. It's like, man. But I had to reevaluate my life. What am I doing? Why am I doing it? Jesus is Pastor Daniel spent time today on the problem with works-based faith. When you do good things for God, you need to be careful of your motivation. Many people try to do good to get to heaven, but that's not what God's plan is. The only way to heaven, as Pastor Daniel reminded you, is through Jesus. Then, in response to what Jesus has done, we do good in the world. We bless others because Jesus first blessed us. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel, and I want to be honest with you for a moment. Life is messy, and the hard reality is, if it isn't messy for you now, it will be, and it probably has been in the past. 
Did you know that you can still thrive in tough times? It's true, you can, but only through the power of Jesus. That's the purpose behind my book, Honestly. I want you to know how to keep living your best life in Jesus, no matter the circumstances of your life. You can find out more about it and get your own copy at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel talks about the idea of resting. This is something that God has already talked about in the Ten Commandments, but now he's expanding on the idea to include nature. God wanted the earth to rest as well as the people, and he promises to provide during that time. God will always keep his word so you can trust him. Just rest in his truth and love. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Sinai. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.